The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are entrepreneurs that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They are creating businesses that really add value to others, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, Inspiration for the Entrepreneurial Mind with Chris Cooper. If you're looking for ways to develop your entrepreneurial spirit while you contribute to a better world, you'll want to stay tuned for the next hour. Now, here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of BeMoreAchieveMore.com and CC1Consulting.com, and I'm absolutely delighted to be back with you again this week. Um, on the show today, we're going to be talking about uh, world-class uh, performance. Before we start uh, to look at uh, how to become world-class, I-, I was speaking at a conference this week, or last week, sorry, at the Royal College of General Practitioners, and it was about a favorite topic of mine, uh, enjoying today, and we also talked about planning for tomorrow. And we were sharing and talking about the concept and the facts, quite a difficult fact, that over the next few decades, no one in the room would still be here. So rather than trying to ignore the fact, perhaps we might as well acknowledge it and therefore apply strategies to help us enjoy and make the most of every single precious day. Now, this philosophy is one I've really taken to heart of late. And when I see my children, for example, who at times, um, as you'll pop, some of you will know, children can be challenging. I know my guests today will know that too. Uh, the knowledge of being here with them at that moment, any moment, is a gift. It's a really powerful one. And there's also the knowledge that it could be taken away at any moment. It just makes every moment seem more special. Now, I'm partly mentioning this as well because I heard from a good friend of the show, Kathy Tracy of the Learning Company, who amongst many other talents holds a world record for rowing the Atlantic. Um, you can check out the show that we did together on Teams in the show archive. Now, Kathy went over to New York to run the marathon last week, and instead of complaining that the marathon was cancelled, she completely agreed with the mayor's decision, and with, with her husband, Clive, spent their time in Staten Island helping people strip out their flood-damaged homes, dragging down walls, pulling debris into the streets where bulldozers had cleared it away. And, you know, well done, uh, Kathy. You're an inspiration and you embody Be More, Achieve More because you, you really use the situation so productively. So let's make the most of ourselves and, and our day, you know, whatever the circumstances. Um, this quote was also sent to me today. By, it's a quote by Steve Jobs. He's the former CEO of Apple. He was sent by one of the show listeners, Tacey Trump, this week. So thank you, Tacey. And it says, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations or pride or fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you're going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. So I'm going to pose a question to you. If you have a desire, then why not do your very best to make it happen? 
Perhaps that might even mean that you have to become world-class to do it. And if so, Steve Jobs said, you've absolutely nothing to lose. So what are the things that really make a difference when it comes to world-class performance? Uh, Today in the show, we're going to talk about how intense focus, discipline, and keeping things simple led someone who showed no signs of success, that's in his own words as a teenager, to go on to become a world-class swimmer. I'm absolutely delighted, therefore, to have two guests on the show. Firstly, Chris Cook, who represented Great Britain for almost 10 years, reaching Olympic, Commonwealth and European finals and becoming double Commonwealth champion. His defining moment came in 2006 at the Olympics, at the Commonwealth Games, Melbourne, Australia, and Chris defied the odds and became double Commonwealth champion. His dedication and hard work involved, on an average, getting up at 4:30 a.m., 60,000 plus meters of swimming, and training in excess of 30 hours a week. He's now retired from international swimming, and Chris today works with young people in schools, swimming, and sports clubs, businesses, and organisations, helping them make the most of themselves. Our second guest is Simon Hartley. Simon's a sports psychologist and a performance coach at Be World Class. He helps athletes and business people to get their mental game right. Now, during the last 15 years, he's worked with gold medalists, world record holders, Olympians such as Chris, and championship-winning teams. He's worked at the highest level of sport, from premiership football and rugby union to Olympic sports, golf, tennis, and even motorsport. And he's applied the principles of world-class sports psychology into business education, charity sector, and healthcare. Uh, His first book was called Peak Performance Every Time, published by Routledge. And his second, which I'm personally enjoying at the moment, is entitled How to Shine and was published in 2012. So it's a great pleasure to welcome on the show today, Chris Cook and Simon Hartley. Hello. Hello How are there. you guys? Hello. How are you today, guys? Great, thanks. Very, very good indeed. Fantastic. Now, can I start the sort of conversation um, by asking you a question, Chris? Yeah. What made you decide to become a swimmer and to continue with it, even though, in your words, you demonstrated no sign of success in your teenage years? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I get that asked, asked that a lot. Um, it was really the love for what I was doing. I just loved swimming. Um, I remember going to um, lessons when I was very, very young, and I've got some really fond memories of, of just walking in the door of the swimming pool, and I know that smell of chlorine's not a very nice smell to most people, but it's quite nostalgic for me. And I love just being free in the water, and that, that never that never escaped me. I always was able to tap into that. So it, it, from a very young age, it was less about results at that stage and more about just exploration. And like I said, that element of exploring and experiment never really left. Oh, did you have a vision that you were... You know, you wanted to become an absolute top swimmer at that stage, or was that something that came later? I had a passion and a desire, but yeah, I don't think I had the vision right there. Um, whilst I say that, though, I did have some pretty strong daydreams about it, you know, and often when I would go along to training and race other people, it, whether I won the race or lost the race or whatever happened in that race, it didn't matter what mattered that, what mattered was that I gave 100%. And I did used to dream away of, of touching the wall and punching the air and celebrating on the lane rope. That was definitely something that, I, from a young age, that I wanted to do. And you know, even though you 
demonstrate you didn't demonstrate those signs you yeah. still kept doing it i did yeah um and, and there were times that there were ups and downs in there there was lots of ups and downs and in many of the down times you know swimming's a pretty tough sport in terms of um, it's quite regimented, it's quite prescriptive. You know, you follow a, a certain set session with a big group of people. So it's very hard to be an individual in there, especially from a young age. Um, but yeah, I, I, I did, I did keep on going as a, as you say. But again, it, it come down to setting those tiny little goals along the way and just enjoying the process. You know, I, I immersed myself in the process. At times when I didn't, I stepped away. And then step back in at the point of enjoyment. I always entered back in at the point of enjoyment. What do I enjoy the most? Get back in and, and just enjoy it and take it from there. Excellent. So, so coming to you, Simon, um, what is a sports psychologist first? Probably a good place to start. And, and then what were the problems you saw, you know, Chris experienced? Because I know you work with Chris and, and others who mm. to achieve, you know, world class or exceptional performance. Well, a sports psychologist's job, very simply, is to help the athletes get the mental game right. And um, most coaches know, and most athletes know, that within their performance, there's a physical component of the performance, there's a tactical uh, element to it, there's a technical element to it, but there's also a mental component to it. And actually, as, as athletes kind of progress within the sport, when they get closer and closer to that elite level the differentiator starts to usually become biased towards the mental element of the game because at the very, very top level, the difference in skills probably are quite small. The difference in physicality is quite small. Most of the athletes have got pretty much the same tactical knowledge, um, but actually some of them can lose it on the day. Um, and, and that's, I think, where the sports psychologist's sort of um, big role comes in to help athletes to consistently p- perform uh, as close to their best as possible when it counts. So is that therefore the kind of the, the bit that maybe is the one percent or two percent that makes the difference between being world class and being in the secondary? Well, yeah. When I look at this through um, through probably a, a biased view, being being a sports psychologist, but certainly when I look at uh, those things that differentiate the very, very best in their field, many of those um, characteristics are, are mental. Um, in fact, when you look at athletes coming through barriers and uh, and, and through uh, sort of challenges, very few of those challenges, even the ones that look physical, are actually physical. Um, you know, even when they're hurting and they wonder whether they can keep going, the decision to keep going usually is driven by their desire. You know, it's, it's a mental thing. Um, so, yeah, I see that a large part of performance uh, within sport, and actually we could we could extend that way beyond sport, um, it, it, it's governed by what happens between our ears. Mm. And, and it is, you know, when you look at some of the, the problems and challenges that you help people with, uh, you know, is, is that desire and that ability to keep going even when they're hurting is that mm. one of the problems that you see or are there, are there other key issues that you help people yeah th- there are there are some um some absolute fundamentals to performance um 
mental toughness is one um but i think right at the foundation there are there are three things that um, that athletes need in order to perform well and again that goes for all human beings actually we need focus we need a real sort of simple clear focus on what we've got to do and we need the confidence to go and do it and we need motivation um and you know we were talking about desire desire is a key part of motivation you know we there has to be a darn good reason why in chris's case you would get up at 4:30 in the morning six mornings a week uh, and go and immerse yourself in chlorinated water um <laughs> you know it doesn't sound like my idea of fun um <laughs> but uh but yeah there's a damn good reason why chris did that for for many many years of his career and you know he and i would always talk about those cold february mornings when he's sitting in the car park waiting for the pool to open it's pouring down with rain outside it's pitch black and many people at that point would ask well what the hell am i doing here you know there's a nice comfy warm bed at home um but chris had a very very strong reason a compelling reason to be there and do what he did i bet i bet on certain occasions he wished he was a sports psychologist still tucked up in bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think you might be right there chris <laughs> So, so we've got a, a couple of minutes before we go to commercial break, Chris. But I'm really interested. There'll be people listening to this thinking, "Well, I've, I've got. A, I'm a you know business person. I'm not a sports personality, or I, you know, I run my own own small business." Um, why do you think your story is such a, a great metaphor for success in business, Chris? Well, I think first and foremost, you know, there was never one time that I woke up feeling outstanding. I never woke up thinking. Um, that I'm the world's greatest or anything like that. I, you know, there, there were lots and lots of challenges along the way. And, and I just felt like an average guy who was stretching way outside the comfort zone. And, and I think that's the bit that resonates with a lot of people. I do a lot of guests speaking around um, in business and in schools. And a lot of the feedback I get back, which is really overwhelming, is that it's that part of the story that really gets them. It's the sharing of, hey, I didn't feel world class. There wasn't many times that I actually ever felt world class because I was always pushing to get into that world class um, frame of mind. I was always pushing the boundaries physically, mentally. So I think it, on that level, that's where I share it. it it's feeling ordinary, but doing something extraordinary. Mm. Yes. And, and I guess a, a, there's a point in time when you realize you've kind of got to that higher level though, though i guess it also depends upon who you're comparing yourself with yeah um, yeah definitely. Mm. i think you're it's, right. it's, a, mm, it's certainly a common trait that i find in world-class performers most of them will say i'm an ordinary person and I, I might have achieved some extraordinary things but from their perspective they are just an ordinary person you know they, they're made of flesh and bones the same as everybody else um, and usually they realize that their start point was the same place as everybody else's as well. Normally very, very modest start point. Um, you know, Chris will, you know, be the first to explain that his start point was very, very modest and remained so for an awful long time, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And when you look at the training environment, it reflected that. You know, going into the changing rooms, there was cockroaches on the floor. It wasn't the most, it wasn't the most amazing facility you'll ever see. But we made it inspirational. You know, we we covered it with um, flags of the countries that we'd visited as international swimmers, and we we stitched our names into those flags and pinned them up really high on the wall. And 
what, what, what the environment offered was not what it showed. And what we, what we demonstrated was that we can change an environment, uh, just a rectangle of water into a place where we can make world-class dreams come true. And that's exactly what we did. And I think most people would be shocked if I took them back to see the, the training venue because <laughs> it's, mm. it's not the most desirable of places. We've got to get to commercial break now, but let's, we'll, we'll continue again after the break and find out a bit more. So we're we'll back again with you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you looking for innovative ideas on how to achieve your financial dreams? Tune in to Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday afternoon at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Join certified financial planners Ken Smith and Ethan Broga to learn how you can obtain financial success. You'll be entertained while you discover techniques to alleviate your financial concerns. Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of BeMoreAchievemore.com and CC1Consulting.com um, and also the facilitator of the Achiever program and, of course, this show. And I'm delighted to have Chris Cook and Simon Hartley with me at the moment. And uh, just before the break, we, Simon, Chris and Simon were talking about how um, they had been, Chris had been training in what, what he described as a fairly uh, crummy swimming pool area with uh, cockroaches on the floor, but they turned it into a, you know, an inspirational world-class environment. And it, it got me thinking of an environment that I'd worked in a corporate space, and we'd done the same thing. We'd branded it up and put flags and, and up and things like that. Um, uh, you know, how important do you think, uh, uh, Simon, it is to create an environment that you know, feels world-class, even though it may be... Uh, crumbling around the infrastructure. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, the, I think Chris would probably be the first to agree that it's it's not the walls, it's not the floors, it's not the ceilings that make the place world class. It's what you do in there and how you yeah. think about it. Um, I actually, I know that there are a few training venues around the world, um, such as the MVP club in um, in Jamaica that trains the sprinters. And deliberately, the guy who set that up um, made it uncomfortable, took away all the nice frills, took away, you know, there's no nice changing rooms here, there's no nice track, you're on, you know, ash and tartan, and uh, and said, 
you know, world-class training environments are not about comfort. They're about work. You know, it's, it's hard work that gets you the uh, the results, not the, you know, not plush training facilities. Um, at one of the football clubs that I used to work at, they they actually had a better training environment when they worked out of um, you know a, a dilapidated old training ground than they did when they moved moved to their brand new multi million pound academy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was it was raw for sure, but actually the focus was firmly on the training. It wasn't on you know the walls, the ceilings, the bricks, the lights, the everything else. And um, it's it's you know it's what you do in there that counts. That's interesting. I, a few years ago, I did some uh, some work with Manchester United and uh, went in went in their training centre. I went in the old training centre. I went in the new one. The new one was certainly pretty impressive. Uh, you know, is, is that is that what looks? It's interesting you say that uh, maybe the comfort should be stripped out. I just, it, it, I think sometimes um, people lose the work ethic when it becomes too comfortable. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and certainly, the, you know, I, I've seen an awful lot of really, really high quality athletes come out of pretty ordinary training facilities. I mean, if you ever went to visit the place that the Kenyan runners train in, you would not imagine that that's the place that world record, uh, world record holders were born and raised. Um, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a great deal to be said for understanding the fundamentals of world class yeah. preparation, not the frills and the fluff around the outside. I think, you, I think I th- sorry, I think you're right. I think you know what, what what you create is a culture, is a culture and an attitude. I think that's the most important thing when you're looking for world class to shine through. Is you don't go looking for it in the fancy facilities. You go looking for it inside, deep inside the people, and creating mm. an environment where you can share that energy. And you know, we within, I suppose, within months of adopting a different mindset like that, and and starting to act world class and be world class and do all the things that world class athletes do every single day. It's amazing how many people start to turn their heads around you. And start to either focus on what you're doing and start to pick up their own baton, if you like, or they sort of go to the opposite end and fizzle away. And we literally had two bipolar ends of the the spectrum and swim in the swim group. There was no middle yeah. ground. Yeah, so I'm really interested to, uh, to as well now to move on because like, you've got a really powerful message to share with people, uh, which. I think is is really really important, mm. and uh, I'm interested as we get on to that for you just to to share. You know, what were the pivotal moments for you, Chris, that changed everything? Because I know there was you know moments or two that really changed everything for you. Yeah, there was, there was. I mean, me and Simon started working together in 2001, I think. Mm. Um, I'd come back from the World University Games and. I'd gone out there in the best shape possible and come back just mentally exhausted. I'd I'd beaten myself up and stood up on the blocks with too much anxiety and and it really got to me competition. Um, And I didn't didn't get the result that I felt I deserved or reflected the training that I'd been put in physically and mentally. So we we started working together on competition anxiety and we worked together... for right up until I retired in 2008 from Beijing. 
But one of the key turning points um, come from just an ordinary session. Me and Simon would meet once every week or maybe twice a week, have a chat, um, talk talk things through, and really put some put some meat on the bones about how to take training forward. And it was one particular session in 2005 that we, when we were talking, we, we stumbled across, you know, what, why I was in, what I was in swimming to do. And that was to swim two lengths of the pool as fast as I possibly could. And when we discussed it, I, I couldn't help feel, I couldn't help but feel inside that my ego was slightly hurt because all of this training was leading to me just swimming two lengths of the pool. Kind of felt like, oh, I'm more than that. Surely I obsess about this every minute of my life. You know, I've made some really tough decisions over the years. What, all just to swim two lengths of the pool? No, surely there's more. There must be more. And we, we sort of wrestled with it. And I was, I was really upset during that session. And I left that session feeling a little bit... I've got to put my hand on my heart and sit undermined a little bit. Mm. But it, it wasn't until we sort of really, really fleshed it out that actually I couldn't, I couldn't ignore it. That's what I was in business to do. And we'd stumbled across something simple and beautiful, but the challenge wasn't easy. And that, that was the, the real double edged sword was that if, if we were going to follow everything in this, in this, in my career to be two lengths of the pool, then things had to change, and that was quite a daunting prospect. Great. So, uh, so, uh, and I think that raises a really interesting point for many people in their business. What is your core purpose, and are you, mm. are you doing lots of stuff that isn't uh, isn't taking you towards swimming two lengths of the pool as fast as you can, or whatever mm. your purpose may be? Um, what do you think, um, Simon? Are the key things for you that people need to do differently? to um, ensure they don't keep getting what they always got, you know, to take them to that uh, world-class level of performance? Well, I think, you know, the, the, the finding the two lengths of the pool for Chris was a, a bit of a revelation to us at the time because we'd done what most people do. Um, we got Chris's job wrong. For, and, and it's embarrassing to say that it took us four years to understand what his job was. Um, because it was so simple, but we got caught up in the mindset that most people do. We start, you know, we, we imagine that Chris's job was to win because he's a swimmer and he's a competitive swimmer. So surely it must be to win or it must be to gain a GB uh, cap or it must be to win medals or it must be to, um, get funding. You know, maybe those are the things that, that, uh, Chris is supposed to be doing. And it wasn't until we understood that his job was very, very simple. And it was just to swim two lengths of the swimming pool as quick as he could. It wasn't until we understood that that we could actually focus on doing it. And when we focused on doing it, we became incredibly um, effective at it. And all of the resources were, were targeted, were, were funneled um, in, into a very, very sort of tight beam. Um, and it enabled, I think if we were to plot Chris's progression on a graph, the point that we understood his job, the, the sort of deflection in the curve uh, races towards the ceiling um, because, you know, it, it had a massive effect on every decision that was made, every training session that he approached, um, every review of a training session, the, the preparation time in the car going to the training session. You know, everything turned around with, with that realisation. So, 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 Chris, how did you get 
the entire team focused on that? Because I know this was, you know, this wasn't just about you. You've got a whole team supporting you to swim the two lengths of the pool as fast as you can. How did you get them on board and absolutely focused? Yeah, that that was difficult, you know, when I consider the fact that my own ego was dented a little bit at first and my my ego come through saying, no, this job's much, much tougher than that. And once once that subsided and I started to see the true value in doing this, the next thing was to communicate this to the team, but have them understand that their place would become even more prominent if, you know, if we all work together towards this common goal. That that was a massive challenge. How we did it, um, we brought people in one at a time, I suppose. We, we communicated that to the whole group. But we also um, allowed them to explore what their two lengths was. So, we, we, you know, why were they in the room? Why were they in the team? What reason did they bring? Um, and that, that brought its challenges because this was a fresh way of looking at things. Instead of looking at filling an hour of physiotherapy the physiotherapist was then it was turned on its head to look at it well how am i going to use this hour to help chris swim two lengths of the pool quicker there's a whole different way of looking at it and sometimes that took a little bit longer than an hour but most of the time it took less so we had much more time available to do other things um when we transferred that into the pool we realized that there was lots of things in the pool that we were just doing because the rest of the industry did we got in the water, we did everything the same, pretty much maybe just a little bit different in places and tried to be innovative. But we really weren't getting what I needed to swim two lengths of the pool. So we really looked at all of that. And that that became, that came to a point where a two-hour session in the water would turn into maybe 30 minutes at the end doing yoga because that was something that would benefit the two lengths much more than just plowing up and down the pool like everybody else. So we started to really not just go against the grain, but we started to develop our program and the, a team that was super, super focused and efficient. Um, but not everybody in the team bought into this at first. You know, people saw their role as extremely important and it must be very complicated to be important. And it just wasn't that. And, and once we brought those people into the loop and, and they got it as well, their role become even more prominent and even more important because they could they could be efficient, they could be effective and you know the sports science that we were getting, the support on that side, it was it was a revelation for them as well. But it took it mm. it did take a long time. It took a long time. Yeah, and, and all the stuff that we were doing, it was in there because it was habit, wasn't it? You know no, nobody'd really ever questioned it no. fully. And of course, now we were applying quite a ruthless benchmark, quite a ruthless um, qualification to everything we did. It had to contribute to to helping Chris swim two lengths of the pool quicker. Um, and you know, we made everybody justify what they were doing on that basis, because if it didn't help, it shouldn't be there. And and even if it was going to contribute a tiny amount, I mean, we used a very technical term called the big chunks. Um, if it was going to take a big chunk off of the time, if it was going to take half a second off, we really consider doing it but if it was 0.0000 something we had to make sure we'd done the bigger stuff first before we moved on to it um, and, and it actually made decision making on the whole a lot easier when we used that uh, rule of thumb didn't it cool. lots of meeting times and, 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 and that might just be a tiny thing but when you're looking for every second of your recovery to be at its top end then every second counts yeah 
So we've got to make sure that we keep um, absolutely focused on doing those things that are important to take us towards our purpose. So we're going to go to a commercial break now. We'll be back again in a couple of um, minutes, and we're going to talk more about some of the key components of becoming a class from the experiences of Chris Cook and Simon Hartley. We'll be back again with you in two minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of BeMoreChievemore.com and CC1Consulting.com. I'm talking with Chris Cook and Simon Hartley about, about being world-class and their experiences. And, and before the break, um, we were talking about this, this great concept of two lengths of the pool, um, about knowing your purpose um, very succinctly, your reason for being, and then focusing everything and your team around achieving that purpose and knocking off all the activities and tasks that don't take you towards your goal. And I think that's a really, really powerful message uh, for any business. And certainly since I've talked to uh, to Chris and, and Simon in preparing this, I've got this thing, I think I keep thinking about you know, my two lengths of the pool, how I'm keeping that sort of focused. But when we were planning for this show, we, we talked about a number of different aspects that were valuable and have been valuable to Chris and his development around world-class. And one of those that you talked with me about, Simon, was to notice the subtleties. And I think there's a powerful message in that too. What do you mean by that? Mm. Sometimes the the way that world-class performers become world-class is there's a process that I've nicknamed sort of ironing out the wrinkles. And they just notice that there's something that's not quite right in the performance yet. And it might only be tiny, but they work at it and they work it out. And then they'll notice another one that's not quite right yet. And they'll work at it. And they'll only make tiny gains each time. And sometimes 
ironically, it take, when you get to elite level particularly, the amount of effort it takes to achieve a tiny gain is massive sometimes. And th- I think with most people, there's a, p- a point in time when they notice that the effort required to get a, a gain, you know, the effort outweighs the gain and it, it becomes disproportionately huge sometimes. And at that point, a lot of people will stop, but the world-class performers don't stop. Even though the effort required to get a fraction of a percent gain sometimes is massive, they'll keep doing it. And, you know, Chris and I, uh, we, we, we laugh about it now. We worked for what, six years to knock 0.3 of a second off of his start, I think it was. Yeah. And you, you put those time frames next to each other, and it looks, it looks ridiculous. But actually, 0.3 of a second is massive in swimming. And you know, the difference between Chris winning, uh, he'll have to remind me what the actual times were, winning both Commonwealth medals combined, you know, the winning margin was ridiculously small, wasn't it? Mm, I think it was um, 16 one-hundredths of a second. To win two gold medals. Yeah. Um, so when you look at 0.3 of a second in that respect, you think, well, 0.3 of a second is now huge. Um, so, you know, it was worth us spending six years working on. Um, but, but there are marginal gains, tiny little gains everywhere. And world-class people are very good at spotting and being aware of those tiny little gains that they can get in many, many different areas. Uh, and, and actually, British Cycling as an organization have worked for, for quite a few years on a principle that they call the accumulation of marginal gains. You know, if you're going to gain a tenth of a second somewhere, you actually gain it ten times by a hundredth of a second. That's how you gain a tenth of a second. Or actually, a hundred times by a thousandth of a second, that's how you gain it. Um, and, and that's that's the principle they work by, and many world class people work by. And, and, I, and I guess we can apply that to to business by looking at our business and looking to continuously improve the performance of each aspect of it. That's important. Yeah, and you know it, it could be taken down to a, a very very literal level by looking at how you gain more profit. No, don't don't work on how you can gain um, 10% more profit. Work on how you can gain a tenth of a percent more profit and then, you know, replic- replicate that a hundred times because you'll find a way to gain a tenth of a percent profit. It's easy. Spend a little bit less on something or, you know, um, uh, make sure you get the most out of the value. Um, that, that's the way to gain tiny little bits of profit. So you can take it as literally as that, but it applies to anything. It applies to customer service or, you know, how internal uh, communications work, you know, anything. I think Simon's right. I think it's about building upon what you already do, building upon what you already do, and even just delving that little bit deeper and making just that fraction better. You know, we had a phrase uh, that the coach used to put up on the on the board every time he walked in, and he used to say, how can we be better than we were yesterday just by a little bit? And it was just that little bit on the end of that phrase that really got everybody because Everybody thought, yeah, of course we can do that. Just by a little bit, of course we can. Mm. I've seen um, squads of athletes training together, and you'll, you'll notice that some athletes just approach the training session differently. And because they approach it differently, every length that they swim, they swim at higher quality. Um, every time they turn around a wall, they turn better, they turn sharper, they push off the wall harder, um, they focus on their breathing, they focus on their stroke, and they might only gain a tiny amount on their, the other swimmers in the pool during that session, but they'll do exactly the same tomorrow 
and they'll do the same the day after and the day after. And although you might not notice the difference in performance over the course of a week, you might notice it over a month. You'll definitely notice it over a year. Yeah. And after a year or two, the, those swimmers start to separate themselves and become consistently better than the others. And yet nobody can figure out why, because they were given <laughs> the same training card. Yeah. The, the difference is not the training card. The difference is how they approach the training session and what they and the do energy. within the training. Yeah. Yes. And their energy with that as well, their energy. You know, when mm. I think back to times when my whole being was part of the, those training sessions, there wasn't a part of me wanted to be anywhere else. And when I think about the times that it wasn't going my way, part of me wanted to be somewhere else. It's it, it, taking mm. that energy and giving it, you know, everything and something else happens on a different level that you know i can't quite put my finger on but i've experienced on many many occasions when you give that energy mm. so, so i mean you, you could this principle of uh, of kind of looking at the subtleties and also making sure you kind of focus on what you're doing that seems quite straightforward and i remember a little earlier in the interview chris you said that it's not necessarily easy. I mean, just how difficult was it and what does it really take to become world-class? Um, that's a really interesting question, actually, because it, it's not that easy. Um, but it, for me, it was about looking at what I was already doing, looking where I wanted to take it, and having building that confidence that I could strip this apart and I already know I already know where to take it. I already knew where to take it. It was just about asking the right questions at the right time. And that's what we became exceptionally good at as a, as a team and especially facilitated through Simon, asking those crucial questions and which provided that focus. So f mm. for me, that teased out, well, I already know that. Or I've always wanted to do this. Well, okay, well, why don't you do it? You, you're now tapping into an inspiration and it was those questions that really brought that inspiration through. You know, I've always knew, known my start wasn't that good. Right, well, okay, let's get moving. Let's get it. Let's get doing something about it. what do you want to do next. And and we just we didn't know the third and fourth and fifth step. We only knew that step in front that was answered by one of the the, the questions. Mm, some of those questions are difficult. They're uncomfortable. Mm. Um, sometimes even a, even looking at the question requires courage, um, and it's effort. You know, it requires effort as well to search for the answers and, and not just stop halfway. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the world class people certainly go, go into that territory. Um, it, it's, it's a part of your discomfort zone, as I call it. Um, and world class people habitually seek out their discomfort zone. So they keep pushing themselves. Um, whereas, you know, m many people who don't quite make it to world class, they don't love the discomfort zone. They endure it for a time and then they hop out of it and they're glad when they're out of it. I mean, I can remember, you know, Cookie and I having conversations where uh, if you were in your comfort zone, if things weren't uncomfortable, the alarm bells were ringing. Hang on a minute. I'm not progressing. You know, I, I don't feel uncomfortable. There's got, there's got to be something wrong here. Um, so I guess, I guess I'm on this journey, celebrating the tiny improvements becomes important to keep, yes. keep, you know, keep yourself moving forward. Yeah, absolutely, because some of those tiny achievements require a massive amount of effort. Um, and, and so, they, yeah, they need to be recognized. Um, and sometimes, you know, it, it's, 
it's tempting to think that those t- those things that you need to do they don't really make that much difference surely you know if i just don't do it will it matter that much well yeah it matters a massive amount um and y- y- you do have to sort of celebrate those um we you know we were to- talking about um the start chris's start that there were tiny elements in there that Chris started to understand they weren't quite right. His head position wasn't quite right. He could feel drag coming off of it. Um, his hips weren't quite in the right position. And it took a long time to sort some of those things out. But when they were right, you know, you, you can feel the difference. And that's important to be able to feel the difference yeah. um, and to know that this thing's actually working and that this effort's actually worth putting in. You know, the fact that his big toe wasn't out of line now and he couldn't feel any drag coming off of it because it was tucked in properly. You know, th- those things you can feel, but you have to you have to be aware of them and tap into them um, to be able to know sometimes that you're making progress. Makes a lot of sense. So you've you've got to some of these questions help you become consciously aware of, of things that you may not have been consciously aware of. I think Chris made the point actually that sometimes you just have to take the step. You might not know what the next step is. But once yeah. you take that step on the journey, then you probably get a conscious and awareness of, of then the next step to take. Yeah, sure. And I think it, within the team as well, we created a culture whereby we allowed people to be, in fact, we encouraged creativity. You know, if you're answering the two lengths of the pool as fast as we can, problem, if you're tackling it and you come up with something creative, bring it to the table, let's look at it, let's explore it. There's no point in, in, in hiring and bringing in these world-class physiologists, um, psych, uh, ph- physiotherapists. physiotherapists, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no point in bringing them in if they're really creative and super talented and then just saying, well, this is how swimming works. Don't, don't move away from it. This is what the competition does and this is what we do. In fact, we, we, we created an environment where we started coming up with our own stuff now, and I'm not going to say that we brought it into swimming, but there wasn't many people doing yoga. There was hardly mm. anybody doing yoga. Now I could go on the poolside and I could guarantee at a, a national level competition there would be somebody doing yoga. Um, and, yeah. you know, I kind of felt like the, the very, very small minority doing yoga at that time, what, sort of um, mm. eight years ago now. So it, it was, yeah, so there, there was some things that looked radical really radical like going into a gymnastics center um you know climbing up a climbing wall uh, he's a swimmer for goodness sake and it doesn't look like it it applies but actually that was the stuff that chris needed to do um and it was quite a big decision quite a courageous decision sometimes to move so far away from the norm um to do stuff that you know is right for you even though all of your competitors are doing something completely different yeah Yes, yes, and uh, and that must must uh, yeah must take quite a bit of confidence to do that. Yeah, I think the confidence comes from asking: is it a yes or a no? Whether this is helping to swim two lengths of the pool as fast as I could. That's where the confidence comes from. In fact, a deeper rooted confidence comes from um, asking that question. I remember going into the gymnastics and Simon, you've just broken something in my mind there, and I've just gone back to it. And, it, it, and then I was thinking about it. We, we went in the gymnastics centre, and even the gymnasts and the coaches were looking at us like, 
what is wrong? (laughs) Literally a fish out of water. And we took the videos along and we said, look, this is the underwater footage. This is a turn. This is the, these are the actions. When we slow it down, is there anything that you think there that you could help us with? Within seconds, the coach was just said, yeah, we could do this. We could do that. We could. And he brought about 50 different things to the table. Mm. Whoa, we were expecting to get sort of thrown out, you know, in, in, in this, this coach, this gym. Nobody else was doing that. And, and it didn't matter whether they were or they weren't. What mattered was we started, we were answering that question, is this going to help us? Yes, well, let's get cracking, let's get going. Great stuff. Well, we're actually going to miss the commercial break because it's too interesting to go to commercial break <laughs> right now. So let's continue, let's continue through. Um, how do you... Uh, maximize your rest time I, I know that so this is a, a key thing for you mm. Chris and, and that when you're really busy yeah um, how do you maximize that that time so that you're getting the most out of that time you know what techniques would you recommend to people is, is yoga one of them well yeah I mean me I'm I'm a huge fan of yoga body and mind connecting I'm a, a real big fan of that um you know as, as an athlete you you kind of get wrapped up in the doing a lot you know, if you're not physically doing something, then you're not moving forward. Well, actually, recovery is quite hard for an athlete to just sit and do nothing. That's, it's not easy, you know. And, and so, and the physical side of things, just relaxing and, and taking that time out. But um, I, I don't, I'm sure it was Simon, you introduced me to a book called The Power of Now. Mm. Uh, I read it by Eckhart Tolle. And... I read that book and it, and at first I, you know, I had to read it in stages because it was, it was very, very different to my approach to life. I'm a, I was a thinker. I spent a lot of time in my, my, my conscious mind, you know, thinking problems through and my, my head races. And this was a completely new concept of just enjoying the moment. And, and once I grasped it, an hour now seemed like a lifetime. You know, it was, it was incredible. I had this, completely new perspective so on the on the mental side of things on the the psychology side of things that rest time can be maximized anywhere even jumping in the car going to training for 30 minutes in the car was suddenly become an opportunity to just let go of things to to work on certain parts of my mental filing cabinet you know and it was just fantastic so there's two aspects to me there's the physical but me the 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 psychology side the mind side is a very very powerful thing and the two that connected was yoga for me which is still a huge part of my life which i absolutely love Mm, kenyan kenyan distance runners will say one of the reasons that they're so successful is because there's nothing else to do apart from rest train and eat and they do they rest with real quality because there's nothing else to do Mm-hmm. Nothing to distract them from the rest. So they can train harder because they can rest harder. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's what allows them to be great. You know, they don't have the distractions of modern life in, you know, in villages in Kenya. There's nothing else to do but rest hard. Interestingly, in some of those, some of those places, if you visit them, people do seem to enjoy life a little bit more and be a bit more relaxed, don't they? Um, I guess more because mm-hmm. they're focusing in on, on the moment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but it's a very powerful book. That I mean, it is a strange, strange book to read, isn't it? But that concept of actually spending your time in the moment uh, and not worrying about the future, the past, or what 
people might be thinking about you, but spending it in the moment and focusing on it. And I guess, as I, I said at the beginning of the, the interview about, uh, you know, making the most of, of right now and the precious time that you have, um, whether it's for relaxation or whether it's putting the energy into hard training. Yeah, and, and you, you, you allow your inspiration to come through too. And it's not just, uh, it, you're not just problem solving in your, your, the front of your mind, you're problem solving on a completely different level and strange strange ideas come through, or what appears like strange ideas come through and what actually comes through is inspiration and mm. wonderful and quite strange ideas from. So I think we could talk about this um, subject for a long time, I think. Uh, one thing I do want to touch before we come to the end of the interview, Simon, was uh, something you said, again, while we were preparing for the interview, that with Chris, um, you were playing catch-up. Um, what do you mean by playing catch-up? Because I think there's quite an interesting uh, concept here for people too. Are you still there? Have we lost Simon, have we? Do you, can I put that question to you then, Chris? Yeah, I think for me, um, playing catch-up, you know, I, I had a career that was very, very late in the making, and we, I was at the back of a pack, if you like, so there was four or five other breaststroke swimmers who were world-class, and who were, who were street ahead. Hello? <laughs> You're back again. Hello. <laughs> I, I was abducted by aliens. I do apologise. Model technology. Yes, I disappeared once and once. <laughs> couldn't hear anything for a moment. So anyway, I, was, I asked the question to, um, to Chris and to Chris about playing catch up. So Chris, do you want to carry on? Yeah. So I was I was just saying, Simon, that I was right at the back of that pack of breaststroke swimmers, and mm. it it was a catch up situation. You know, we we had limited time. I was getting older, but my peak started to happen around about 2004, late 2004 onwards, didn't it, Simon? Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, when we look at uh, your start point um, in international swimming, uh, quite literally uh, um, in some races you were playing catch-up. Um, but, yeah, it, I think one of the hardest challenges came for you when you actually broke through and became the number one and you didn't have anyone to chase anymore. yeah. Um, because I think it's quite hard being motivated by catching other people often um, because you've got something in your sights. But actually, when you break through that, there, there was a period where it was kind of a, like a bit of a void. Um, yeah. what, what do I chase now then? Um, yeah. and, and actually, it, it kind of encouraged us, I guess, to uh, to focus on you and your swim and focus internally rather and, and how we could get you to be the quickest rather than to beat someone else. And I think that's the challenge in competition. Is is it's less about looking out there, and that only gets you so far. Looking at your competition, trying to be a little bit better than what they do, and trying to second guess and all of that, and build your training and your your work towards that. Looking at your competition only gets you so far. Actually, bringing that focus right home, what's going on inside of me, and what can we do here, is a completely different set of questions altogether. And mm. uh, and. I think with that competition out there focus, that hindered us for a while. And I personally believe, I know you said, oh, it was quite embarrassing how we didn't didn't get that until later on. I think that's because we were chasing too much. We were trying to get ahead of competition. Yeah, I think that's true. We've only got about a, a minute until I need to, to wrap this up. So just very, 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 very quickly, um, Chris, what did it feel like to be a, a double Commonwealth champion? Was it worth the effort? Oh, yes. <laughs> 
Exactly. I mean, hey, I would love to be the double Olympic champion as well. But you know, I've got pride in my heart that I give everything. And I feel like the lucky one because success for me is fulfilling your potential. And I can honestly say I turned over every stone. I turned over every stone I possibly could. And I had a wonderful, wonderful journey that I'm still on to this day, part of it. But yeah, when I look at that medal and all those medals that I've got, I see them cut them into tiny slices because everyone in the team deserves a slice. And I only deserve a small slice myself because it was a real team effort and, and, and a wonderful journey to share, share it with people. Fantastic. And there's some wonderful key messages in there. Um, I'm going to have to go to um, to end this now, but thank you very much to both of you for being on the show. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Um, if you want to find out more about information about Chris, go to www.chriscookgb.com. For more information about Simon Hartley, go to www.b-world-class.com. And if you're interested in a copy of his excellent books, Peak Performance Every Time and How to Shine, these can be obtained from uh, Amazon.co.uk. And next week, I shall have uh, Sean Smith and Andy Milligan, who will be talking about bold. They've written a wonderful book about uh, organizations that are bold and really how to kind of stand out uh, from the from the crowd. If you any questions or feedback, please send it to chris at bemoreachievemore.com. I'll leave it on my Facebook page at w.facebook.com slash bemoreachievemore. I'm also um, I'm opening up my Achiever Program group uh, to um, uh, to a wider audience. Um, people have had great success through this program, developing their businesses together as a group. If you're interested, drop me an email at chris at bemoreachievemore.com and I'll talk to you on Skype and share with you what that's all about. Um, Chris Cook and Simon Hartley, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Lovely. Yes, Thank indeed. You. Thank you. Brilliant. Absolute pleasure. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you all again next week. Thank you. We thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com.